Hey, listeners. Happy Tuesday, or happy whatever day it is for whenever you're listening to this. Yeah, I feel like we kind of always assume y'all listening to this on Tuesday. That is not that is not the case for everyone. It's not even Tuesday for us right now. No. But, hey you guys, this is Blood and Wine. I'm Brittany. And I'm Tyler. And we actually have an announcement for you guys today. I was about to say this morning, because it's not morning and... Maybe you're listening to this in the morning, but I don't know. I guess I just went into like <laughs> office mode where it's, I'm like having a, a team meeting. We've got an announcement this morning. Hey, everyone. Today's our all hands. Oh, my gosh. I forgot all about all hands meetings. But this is kind of our blood and wine all hands because we do have something we want, we want to talk to you guys about. Is it an all hands or is it a this could have been an email? <laughs> No, I think this is more than this could have been an email. That's fair. So, as a lot of y'all know, and as a lot of y'all have experienced yourselves, this this past year, it's y'all, been a bitch. It's been a lot. <laughs> it's been heavy, it's been hard, and it just, it hasn't been easy. And we also, we've had some life changes and updates and we don't want to scare y'all. Blood and Wine is not going anywhere. We are still going to be making episodes and everything, but we are going to be moving to a bi-weekly schedule. So every other week, Blood and Wine will have a new episode instead of every Tuesday. This was just a way that we decided we could make sure and bring you guys episodes and continue with Blood and Wine, but... We do need to take a little bit of a step back. Like Tyler was saying, we've had a lot of things happen over the last year, as we all have, and we need to make this tweak. So we're still here. We're still going to be bringing you cases, same style, same pattern. It's just going to be every other week instead of every Tuesday. And we're still doing it Tuesday. Yes. Yeah, it'll be every other Tuesday. And some of the things like I'm planning on going back to school for my master's this summer and then job things are happening this year. But all in all, we want to continue to create Blood and Wine and create it at the standard that we've set for ourselves and the standard y'all expect from us. We don't want to we don't want to try to do every week and it be shitty. Because yeah. that's not what we're here to do. We're not here to just be like, oh, um, so here's murder. They died. And that was the case. Like, we want to still be able to dive into our cases, be able to give our victims voices. And so to do that and do that in the way we want to, that's kind of the main reason. Yes. And I'm glad you brought that up. So you're hearing this episode. It's February 16th. This means there will not be an episode next week. The next one will be March 2nd and then every other week from, from there on out. Yeah. I Wow. February 16th. How was y'all's Valentine's Day? This month? That is such a <laughs> fake Hallmark holiday. Um, Sorry if you love Valentine's well, Day. Well, shit. <laughs> what are y'all doing? <laughs> Does anyone, like, feel like they can't believe February is almost over? Like, January was so freaking long, and now February is, like, flying by. And I'm like, what is this about? It's only, like, two days I mean, shorter. Three, but yeah. Um, I mean, I don't know. This year, I, time doesn't exist anymore. Still. And I don't think it ever will. We're gonna wake up, it'll be October. Then we'll wake up, and it'll be September. Because we just went backwards. Who the hell knows? Because <laughs> time is um, a construct that we've made up, which is actually true, kind of. 
Well, kind of not. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, except it totally is created by people. It's really interesting. I highly suggest if y'all like, what the fuck are they talking about? There are a lot of different YouTube videos and like articles and stuff on like the creation of time. Oh my God, my new autobiography. <laughs> <laughs> the creation of time. The Tyler Kelly story. That should be like how to lose time in 60 days. <laughs> <laughs> how to go through 60 days feeling like you went through two. No, it'd be this last year. How to go through one year feeling like a decade. <laughs> God. <laughs> but um, on the subject of um, changes, we also have a couple changes we're making to Patreon. So we just recently had our drink with us. And y'all, thank you so, so much to everyone who was able to attend. It was so much fun. It was great to get to see all of y'all and chat with you. And to those of y'all that weren't able to attend because of time zones, um, we definitely have talked about that because, like, shit, Europe, I'm sorry. <laughs> Australia, I'm sorry. But um, I think our next one, we're going to be planning it for early afternoon, our time. So that would be, like, evening-ish time for y'all just to make it more accessible to as many people as we can. Also, on the note of our drink with us, we had talked about doing them quarterly. We really enjoy them. We know y'all really enjoy them. So we were like, you know what? Let's let's do these bi-monthly. So we just had ours in February. So expect our next one to be in April. Yes, and we're looking at doing a lot of fun, different things on these episodes. You know, we... We've talked and we've done it before about doing more cocktail type episodes and like wine will always stay our main beverage of choice as it does in our real lives. But in our Mm -hmm. podcast lives, (laughs) we also want to introduce cocktails like we also do in our real lives. So it's just, you know, this is us. I don't know what I'm trying to say, but basically we're going to do a fancy episode and we're going to have martinis. I know we're like what if we did like rich people murders maybe not that exact thing is the topic (laughs) but like (laughs) wealthy crime it's gonna just be all white collar bullshit but we'll have martinis yeah basically all these murders that make us so fucking mad because no one actually goes to prison because wealthy oh god honestly shit if we did an affluenza murder episode shit that might be the topic so um, back to cocktails, because I don't want to yes. get, you know, all, like, frustrated already. We're not even, we haven't even talked about our topic for this episode. But, you guys, there's this gin that I just saw recently on Instagram, not even gonna lie. It's called Empress 1908, and it's purple. And it's not flavored or anything, but it's purple. So, I'm gonna need to get my hands on that and try me some purple gin. Ooh, make some purple gin. <laughs> I said, try me some purple gin. Oh, <laughs> I thought you said, I'm going to get my hands on it. I'm going to make some purple gin. Like, Brittany, distillery on your own is illegal. Don't no. go to jail. No. Um. I mean, yeah. Well, and like this weekend, next week is supposed to be like record cold. And we're getting snow again in Austin, which I love. Everyone around me is in a full on panic. They're like, okay. Do we buy 300 gallons of water? It is going to be 20 degrees. And I'm like, I don't know. Probably not. 
But I am going to be that bitch who buys some whiskey, and I want to make myself some, like, fun whiskey apple cider. One of my favorite New York memories was, uh, it was a snow day, like, it was this blizzard that had come through, and me and a friend did this, we went to the bodega, got some whiskey, it was actually her birthday, which was kind of like, we were like, we're not going to let this blizzard ruin the birthday and the celebration, And so we made some like hot apple cider and it was so freaking good. We used a rye whiskey when we did that. Oh, I don't know anything about whiskey. Just that the last time I ever had it on its own, which may have been the first time I had it on its own, um, was when I came back from Norway. My I went to the bar with my friends for the first time because we were like all 21. And um, my friend brought us a round of whiskey shots ew i know they were like bottom shelf you don't shoot whiskey but we did and i thought i was gonna die that just sounds like the worst idea ever and i want to get as far away from this conversation as i can because that hurts my soul you sip whiskey if y'all are sitting there shooting your whiskey don't come talk to me (laughs) wow (laughs) wow you know what i'm gonna say if y'all are sitting there just sip shooting your whiskey and you enjoy it then you do you. That is not my place or Brittany's place, apparently, to stop you. <laughs> okay, I'm just saying, how do you still have an esophagus? Like, how does it not burn? I mean, fair. Anyway, Tyler, let's let's jump into this episode. Let's tell our listeners our topic for today. So our topic for today, um, we were actually just on the phone chatting about what we want it to be, and I had heard the case I'm going to do. I actually found it for another episode and was like, uh, I'm saving this. And our topic is, turns out, it was murder. So those cases that initially are thought as, oh, maybe this is a suicide, or maybe this was an accident. No. No, it was murder. Murder. Muck-tuck. I can't believe it's not murder. Because it is. <laughs> yep. Yeah, these are always sometimes very jarring and sometimes very obvious. Like, depending on the case, there are some that it's like, oh my god, that was murder. And then there are some that are like, yeah, no shit, of course that was murder. Yeah, there are the ones that you're screaming at the screen being like, oh my god, this is a murder. Why are you looking at this as an accident? Exactly. And then there's the others that you're looking at and you're like, why are they, like, investigating this? Like, obviously, you know, the person fell or whatever. No, they didn't. They may have fallen, but they were actually pushed. I don't know. So, yeah, this is this was an interesting one to research, that's for sure. Definitely. But before we get into the episode at large, Brittany, what wine are you drinking? Today, I'm going to be drinking wine out of one of the coolest bottles I've ever seen, because it's a comic strip. Which is like like newspaper comics. The fun news. (laughs) This is the 2018 Odd Lot Cabernet Syrah Red Blend from Monterey County, California. You know, it's wine. And I was definitely expecting like a strip from like uh, Kathy or something. (laughs) No. So on the strip, there are these two gentlemen and they're in an airplane with just a two-seater, it's a red airplane, and they've both got their empty glasses of wine. And they crash land... Oh, no, they don't crash. Sorry. They swoop down into a vineyard, and when they come back up, they have wine in their glasses. 
So maybe it's the velocity of the airplane. It crushed the grapes in their glass. (laughs) And fermented them. (laughs) Yeah. And so one of the guys is like, red blend. And the other guy is like, Cab Syrah. So there you go. This is... um, it's it's a good blend. I have had one Cabernet Syrah blend before, and it's actually that um, Maison Barbeau or something like that that I get at Trader Joe's. The one that's like $6. It's like one of my favorites. I know the bottle in my head. It's amazing. If you ever see it, please grab that wine. But so when I saw this Cab Syrah, and I got this one on sale, I got it for 14 I think regularly priced, it is around 18 so it's a little bit Ooh, pricier. Money. Which is why I've never seen it before. Wasn't in my price range. But I'm really excited about giving this one a try. This is a bold wine with heavy tannins, but it's very dry, but pretty acidic. Some of the notes that reviewers talk about are mushroom, smoke, and earthy, as well as some dark fruit and berries. And this wine pairs really well with your typical like heavy meats, beef, lamb, veal, or even chicken, if you want to have it with that. So with that, I'm going to open up this this wine. And it also talks about being odd. And I love that because, yes, are you bold enough to be odd? Yes, I am. I have to every single day because I am quite This weird. wine, it's not like other girls. No, but let's see if it tastes like other wines. I hope it doesn't taste odd. <laughs> Fair. <laughs> All right, let's get into this. Let's see here. Try not to cut myself on the foil. I don't know why I've gotten so worried about doing that. Wow, that was a struggle. Yes, that was a little bit of a struggle, but I, you know, I don't want to make wine go everywhere. I'm telling you, have a cork split when you're opening a bottle and like get wine all over you like it did that one time and you'll be scared too. I mean, you know, you say that... I'm the one who cuts slices up my hands like three times a day because I cook. Oh my god, one of the worst things that happened the other day. Y'all get ready for this horror story. This is, you know what, this is my mini case before Brittany tells about smelling her wine. It needs to breathe anyway, just, it's fine. Um, so I've been getting some packages in the mail that I ordered. I ordered a lot of books. And um, one of them, it's in a box. I open the box, reach my hand down... And I guess there's um just a piece of cardboard, like a flat piece of cardboard in it. Oh no. That um goes under my nail. No, I and, knew like, that's And like slices were say. like in like halfway and I went fuck. <laughs> I'm and only laughing because I feel that pain. That sounds so painful. Yeah, I like lifted off half my nail. Like it looks fine. Like it, it's not bruised and bleeding under it because Ow. it went into the cuticle, and I'm like, well, at least I still have a fingernail. But yeah, I just, I guess I was too aggressive in wanting that book out of there. I was like, give it to me. Um, and I learned my lesson. So oh my when you're- god, <laughs> this is like nails on a chalkboard. Why did you share that? Ooh. Really? That it in. In all the cases we do, that is what you're like, I can't. You have to stop. You can't say this. Organs falling out of people, that's one thing. Cardboard going under a nail. Well, Stop the press. It just makes me think of like, like someone sticking needles under your nails or lifting your fingernails off. 
Yeah. I mean, torture, but um, <laughs> I would rather my fingernails be lifted off than my organs fall out of me, personally. That's fair. Okay. <laughs> I don't want to talk about organs falling out or torture or any of these things. Um, I want to tell you We're about... about- okay. <laughs> But we're about to do some murder cases, so you need to change that opinion. I meant but, uh, right now I want to tell you about my wine, and you keep preventing me from doing this. My bad. Yeah, tell us about your wine. Well, I don't want to anymore. <laughs> okay, well, now I'll talk about mine. No, so this one, I definitely get the um, dark fruits. That's what I smell. Number one thing, right on the nostrils. Yeah, on the nostrils. As opposed to... <laughs> As opposed to your cheeks, you know, you smell out of those. Well, sometimes I smell out of my eyes. <laughs> I was going to okay. say. Anyway, so very much I'm getting those dark fruits. And there's a little bit of, I mean, it reminds me of a cab. Like, again, because this is half cab. Beep, beep. So it's got. Like a New the, York City cab. Yeah. No, no, this is not a New York City cab. <laughs> those are full cabs, not half cabs, please. Anyway. You guys, this wine smells really, really good. I'm excited to taste it because it, while I know it has the aromas of these fruits, like this, the dark fruits, the blackberry, I want to taste like this mushroom, earthy smoke like that I know is going to be there when I take a sip. And I'm, I'm really excited. So you want it to be Coachella, not Palm Springs. Got it. I'm ready for those shrooms. <laughs> for the, all ready for the shrooms, <laughs> not the fruits. Wow. So, Tyler, what wine are you drinking today? Today, I'm drinking the 2019 Nihilist Wine Co., I guess wine company, Pinot Noir from Central Coast, California. It's Winco. Thank you very much. It's, it's not. It's wine. <laughs> it's, I did not get a grocery store brand wine. <laughs> I forgot that was a grocery store. <laughs> I got the Winn-Dixie brand, the Piggly Wiggly wine. It's Remember there. When we used to have Piggly Wigglies? No. I really don't remember Piggly Wigglies at all. <laughs> it's I think Albertsons bought them, but anywho. So, um Nihilist, that I'm gonna read the definition because I like vaguely knew what it meant. Uh, but this definition I was also like, oh shit. So nihilism, it's the belief that all values are baseless and that nothing can be known or communicated. It's often associated with extreme pessimism and a radical skepticism that condemns existence. And so their example is, a true nihilist would believe in nothing, have no loyalties and no purpose other than perhaps an impulse to destroy. Fuck. I think this wine's going to tear you up. I think that's its (laughs) bottom in top goal. Okay, well... I'm going to drink it anyway, but I think this wine has no soul is what I'm learning. Let's hope the flavor at least has some. <laughs> Anyways, um, so this wine, <laughs> Brittany is not, not amused. <laughs> I'm sorry, y'all. I just sometimes I don't even know. <laughs> Listen, I'm allowed to have some dad jokes, I'll get, although I guess that was more of a wine mom joke. <laughs> That's more fitting, I guess. Maybe it I was a wine dad. I was gonna say maybe it was a wine dad joke. <laughs> oh my god, is that who I am? Oh my am god, I a wine dad. Can we get you a shirt that says that? Can the shirt also be one of those that has the like secret wine pouches in it? Can it be like the one I'm wearing, where it has your dog on it holding wine? Oh. 
Oh my. No, pause. Where did you get that? <laughs> Mama bought it. Anyways, this wine is described as fruit forward with moderate influence of oak. It also shows flavors of red raspberry and plum with aromas of vanilla and baking spices. It has plush tannins and a bright acidity. It is a medium-bodied red, which again, for a Pinot Noir, I'm like, hmm. But I'm wondering, is this going to be another California Pinot Noir that gives me Mayomi vibes? Only time will tell, and that the time will tell us soon. I know, but honestly, great drag name. Mayomi Vibes. I'm just saying. I like it. I think I found my new drag name, y'all. Um, anyways, this pairs well with roasted winter vegetable chowder. Sure. Never had, like, acorn squash chowder, but all right. And I was about to say, it sounds like a squash chowder. I don't... Chowder and squash. That sounds just real gloopy. Yeah. Anyways, it also pairs with grilled lamb and herb roasted potatoes. And once again, dinner parties with friends and family. I really think that all these wines I've had lately are really want me to throw a dinner party. And I'm one of those people that if a uh, 100 people keep telling me to do the same thing, I will not. I will be like, you know what? I don't actually want to do it anymore. <laughs> you know how long it took me to start watching Game of Thrones because everyone told me I'd enjoy it? You know, know how I still have never seen Breaking Bad because I'm like, sh- I don't care. Everyone's always told me to watch it. I don't want to. Don't watch it. I won't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, reverse psychology doesn't work on me. In this context, at least. But in others, it works. Hey. Nice. Loud. Oh, fruity. It also smells like avocado hand lotion because that's what I have on my hands. I don't know why I just thought of, like, Fruit Loops when you said fruity, and I'm like, ew. You don't want wine that smells like Fruit Loops. No, that sounds awful. Also, you said Fruit Loops. I thought Fruity Pebbles. <laughs> Did you know that Fruit Loops, all the colors, same flavor? Yeah. I don't believe it. The, yeah. No. They're not going to take the time to individually <laughs> flavor each piece of cereal. Because then, just think about it. The scientists first have to develop a great flavor that individually, like, you know, six different ones, but then also have to make sure the flavor tastes good mixed together with some cow juice. No, no one wants that. They're going to be like, oh, we found one good flavor. Boom, color it. Use that red 40, yellow 6, (laughs) blue 38. Just throw chemicals in it. And you know what that flavor was? Sugar. (laughs) the flavor was the friends we met along the way anyways i'm gonna pour my wine do it hey you're using my wine glass i am i broke one of them oh no i thought i only gave you one oh i didn't break one of these i broke one of the others you gave me the ones we got when we did the restaurant wine order oh yeah i think i've broken one of those it broke in my sink so that does look light it really is. I mean, I can, if I put it up to you, I can see you on the iPad through it. Wow. Like, it's not like one you can read through. Uh, I can read the wine label through it. Okay, that's insane. I don't think I told you guys, but mine is, it's not like a black wine, but it's pretty dark. No seeing through this. Yeah. Okay. I'm. Let me see what I smell. I don't know, fruits and stuff. I'm ready to drink it. All right. Cheers. Cheers. 
Yeah. Yeah. You know? Oh my. That is not medium bodied. That's light bodied. It looks like Kool-Aid. That you're drinking weird Kool-Aid. I mean, it's good. I like it. I don't usually go for um real light pinots because I feel like a lot of times there's not that flavor density that I want in a wine. Uh sometimes they can be like a little bit almost watery. This one's good. It's not super punch-you-in-the-mouth flavor, but it does have a really nice kind of understated intensity. This is a solid Pinot Noir. I I could definitely see how if you had it with some like really flavorful meats like prime rib with horseradish sauce, that would that would probably drown this out. Um but yeah, a nice um a nice pretty like basic meal would be good. I would probably prefer to drink this one on its own. Ooh, this would be a good Thanksgiving Day wine. That's like with turkey and sage stuffing and stuff like that. Yeah. I I mean with how light turkey is in comparison to like a steak or something, a lighter wine like a Pinot Noir goes perfectly with it. You know, my favorite way of eating turkey is like a smoked turkey leg from the fair. Obviously, that's that is the best way. Um, I want to have a big ass mug of wine and a turkey leg in my hand, and I want to eat like a damn caveman, but with wine. Caveman maybe had wine. Uh, maybe. I mean, we talked about this he in didn't. one of our. Yeah, I, think I was like, no. Wine. Um, I don't know. I think wine is more like a six thousand years ago, and cavemen are a little bit, a little bit past that. Um, God, I want to smoke turkey legs so bad. Why are there not restaurants that serve fair food, but like it's a fast food restaurant? Like, if you're craving funnel cake and you don't want to make it yourself because you don't want a deep fryer and you don't want to own one because you don't want to burn your apartment down because you're <laughs> scared of hot oil. There are some people like that, I assume. Um, I want funnel cake and god damn, I haven't been outside in a year. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, while I have an existential crisis, Brittany, tell me about uh, what, what are you tasting? I was about to say, you okay over there? You just, you haven't seen the sunlight in 365 days. Three damn days. Yeah. (laughs) Anyway, so I was very surprised when I took a sip of this wine because I was not getting dark fruits. I wasn't really getting smoky or oaky or any of that. I was getting- No smoky oaky in here. (laughs) That was for all of our Wisconsin listeners out there. Anyway- What I am really, really surprised that I'm tasting is cherry and cranberry. Oh. It's tart. Like, it was not at all what I was anticipating. And then there's also some savory notes. And a little bit of that smoky earthiness towards the end. But, yeah, I was really, really shocked when it was, like, cherry so upfront and cranberry, like, bringing in that tartness. This is a good blend, Tyler. I think you would really enjoy this one. I'm interested to see, again, like what what this taste transforms into as it opens up. Because I can tell this is a pretty complex wine. It needs to be decanted. But yeah, this is a solid wine that I am really excited about. Nice. I mean, yeah, I'm excited about mine too. It's solid. We did some good wine choices today. Definitely. All right, well, we have our wines, we have our topic. Brittany, you go first this episode. What is your, it turns out, it was murder case today. 
I will be discussing the murder of Lisa Cutler. The sources I used, the show Accident, Suicide, Murder, Season 2, Episode 10 from Oxygen, or On Oxygen, an article on Oxygen by Sharon Lynn Pruitt, and an article on NBC News by Kara Tabaknik. On the night of April 27, 2012, everything changed for Chad and Lisa Cutler. At around 1 a.m., Chad called 911 from their home in Mount Zion, Illinois, to report that he found his wife Lisa blue and unresponsive in the bathtub. She was face down, and her Bible was floating in the water next to her. Oh. Chad told authorities that he and Lisa went to bed around 10 p.m. after putting their two kids to bed. Lisa was having some back pain, and so she decided that she really wanted to just take a hot bath before she crawled in between the sheets. But when she was getting into the bathtub, Chad was just, like, exhausted, and so he fell asleep. Then he woke up, and Lisa wasn't next to him, so he went to the bathroom, and that's when he found her unresponsive. He pulls her out of the tub, drains the water, and starts performing CPR. When the paramedics arrived, because he, you know, he also called 911, when the paramedics arrived, they continued the CPR and rushed her into the emergency room. But unfortunately, Lisa did not survive. Her case appeared to be an accidental drowning, but at this point, things were far from over. From the very beginning, things were not looking right at this crime scene. When authorities got there, they found that the bed in the master bedroom looked like no one had been in it. Like, no one had even slept there. It was, like, all made and, like, everything was good. Chad was also fully dressed. And his demeanor, it just seemed really strange for someone who had just gone through this very traumatic experience. There was no sense of urgency. And we always talk about it, like, you can't judge how someone grieves, but there's a lot stacking up right now where it's like, dude, you were in bed, but you made your bed, got dressed, and you're, like, totally chill? Your wife just yeah. died. Because it would have been one thing if he woke up at, like, 7 a.m., and maybe his, like, morning routine is getting dressed, making the bed, and then he was like, hold on, you know, it doesn't look like she's like, or whatever. But him waking up at, like, one in the morning, there right. is no reason for him to get ready for the day, essentially. Yeah, exactly. So even though things were amiss, here at the beginning, this was not roped off as a crime scene. The police were also really curious how a normally healthy and pretty athletic person like Lisa was could accidentally drown in the bathtub. In the hospital, Chad continued this really weird behavior. He even interrupted the doctor that was giving him a report on Lisa's condition, and he said, so is she dead? Interrupted, Uh, not at the end. Yeah, but I could also see that, you know, from the grieving person of like, I, just tell me if she's if she's alive or dead. Yeah. But looking further, the details surrounding Lisa's death did not add up. A nurse reported that Lisa had more water in her lungs at the time of her death than was usual for a fatal drowning. And this is when Chad was telling the authorities and the doctors that Lisa took medication for depression and anxiety And that sometimes these pills would put her to sleep. Maybe that caused her to drown or slip. Or maybe she took too many on purpose. Maybe this was suicide. 
Authorities knew from past cases of drowning in a bathtub that this doesn't happen without an underlying condition, such as, you know, being really drunk, an an overdose, a heart attack, or like Chad was saying, a lot of medication in the system, or being held down. Yeah. Those are the ways you drown. Yeah, well, because you have to have something that overrides the your brain waking you up because it breathes in water i mean in a in a similar sense not very similar but in a similar sense to when you're falling asleep and you jerk awake because you feel like you're falling yes your brain has a has the ability when you're falling into unconsciousness and or you're unconscious and something happens to jolt you the fuck awake if something's wrong so yeah, drugs, alcohol, something, some kind of condition or something needs to make that not happen, basically, or someone holding you under. Exactly. So about 12 hours after Lisa was pronounced dead, a forensic pathologist performed an autopsy and ruled that she had died from drowning, but the manner of death was not specified. There was some unexplained bruising on Lisa's head and elbows, which was evidence that her death may not have been completely accidental. But one thing that is true, in a case of a drowning, a lot of the times evidence is washed away. So collecting all of this forensics can be pretty difficult. Yeah, I mean, there's not going to be any fingerprints on her or, um, I mean, anything like that. Well, and one thing that was very interesting is Chad drained the tub. So there's not even anything in the tub either. Yeah, when you mentioned that at the beginning, I was like, that's kind of weird. But I could also see that being part of someone's panic response. Like, oh my god, she she's drowning. I need to get the water out of here. I can too. And you, you know, pulling the tub. But yeah, when you said that, I was like, instead of just pulling her out and... Ig- ignoring that but again you know you you can't guess how people react in these situations right so when it comes to autopsies medical examiners they only determine drowning as the cause of death after they've ruled out everything else so they look at other reasonable possibilities um such as drug overdoses or heart attacks and drowning just that's that's the last thing they do you know because again they're looking for what caused this and in this case there was nothing like that there was no alcohol drugs any of that in her system so the sheriff's department at this point is getting a little suspicious and they shared their suspicions with the state attorney's office and soon the illinois state police started an investigation they brought chad in for questioning and still his behavior seemed really weird he said that lisa's declining mental health was the ultimate cause of her death And that all these pills that she was on, that's what caused it. And he would say, like, sometimes she would take too much. But, you know, that specific night, he really didn't know if she had taken any or taken too many. So, again, this whole, maybe she did this on purpose. Yeah. His conviction of it, though, sounds suspicious. Like, he's saying it as if, like, that's what the doctors told him. Right. Well... Investigators start looking deeper into Chad and Lisa's relationship, and they discovered that things between the two of them had been strained as of recently because Chad lost his high-paying job as a maintenance supervisor at an agricultural company. 
The bank foreclosed on their home. And this is when Lisa's mental health really started to decline. And she was seeing a therapist. And Chad admitted that he was struggling with alcoholism and that Lisa had also filed for divorce. But he said that the two of them had reconciled and they weren't going to go through with the divorce, but that things had been pretty strained in their relationship. Investigators also noticed when they were talking to Chad that he had some scratch marks on his upper arms. And of course, this immediately raises their suspicions even further. Chad just said, oh, I have dry skin. That's from me itching or scratching my itch okay yeah that's a that's pretty much exactly what the investigators thought they were pretty sure it was foul play and it looked like evidence of a struggle yeah i mean like as someone with seborrheic dermatitis who does have itchy and flaky skin but also oily skin y'all my skin's trash um when you scratch you're not leaving scratch and gouge marks. No one's like, God, my skin's so dry. <gasps> no, you might like pick or like, yeah, you might itch your scratch yourself till you bleed, but you're not going to have claw marks on yourself. You're not a cat. <laughs> no, you're not a cat. That is very true. <laughs> so without any warning, the next day, authorities returned to the Cutler home And this is where they found some really interesting things in the garage. There was paperwork proving that Lisa was actually moving forward with the divorce. There was, you know, she hadn't like canceled that idea. And there was also a handwritten list compiling possible life insurance payout amounts. Oh my God. Man, don't write that shit down. I mean, don't do any of this, but don't write that down. I know, or at least like throw it away or burn it. I'm pretty sure they were going through the trash, dude. Oh, well, at least burn it. I mean, yeah, don't just... Because, I mean, it's basically making a list of, like, how to murder my wife. Or reasons to. Yeah. So, things are looking pretty suspicious for Chad. Authorities requested a second autopsy be done um, on Lisa. Pathologists found new evidence of a struggle that they hadn't observed in her first autopsy. There was hemorrhaging underneath the skin of her elbows and other unexplained injuries that were not typically consistent with accidental drowning. And throughout all of this, Chad still has this really weird behavior. And Lisa's family was really confused of of his behavior, especially at the funeral. So Lisa's friend, Heidi, she said, Chad acted like he was out at a bar. He acted excited hugged other women and told them how nice they look. He took all the flowers off her casket and gave each of us a rose and didn't leave any for Lisa. Oh, I don't like that at all. So it's like he is not doing anything really to look like a grieving husband. Like he's not even pretending to be sad about this. I mean, and it it doesn't even seem like he's doing it in a way of like, oh, he's kind of like, been so affected by the grief he's like literally lost his mind which you know i mean there are some people who again you can't judge how people grieve and there are some people who are affected in a way where they like well fucking wall it off like we're not gonna think about it we're gonna go to disney world where this doesn't sound like that at all though no i'm getting major scott peterson vibes here yeah Around this time, investigators are, they're getting more evidence. 
One piece of evidence that came in was from a Walmart employee who called in a tip when she reported that she had sold Lisa a track phone the week before she died. And track phone, if you don't know, it's just a brand of like prepaid wireless. So it's a phone where you pay monthly. Oh, okay. Investigators studied this phone record from Lisa's track phone and found that she had been communicating with a local doctor. And this is also someone that she happened to be dating. When Chad found out about this relationship, he got really upset and he left the doctor this like really threatening message. And Chad denied that he left that message at all. And he gave police permission to search his phone records. When the police did that, because of course they're like, okay, this seems weird that you're letting us, but sure. Well, when they did search his phone records, they found out that Chad had also been unfaithful and he was engaging in a secret relationship with a female friend. Records showed that on the morning after Lisa died, Chad texted this woman and told her that she could move into the house and referenced his late wife's secret life insurance policies. Wow. Wow. I am 90% sure that Taylor Swift wrote Nobody, No Crime. Uh, Sounds like about this. Well, Chad, he's still saying he's totally innocent. He's like, no, I didn't kill my wife. I didn't kill my wife. I was just having an affair and like calculating how much insurance I could get from her before she died. And then also telling my secret girlfriend to move in because like, hi, open room. Like, really? I know. And it's just baffling to me that, like, did he think being open with the police, like, being like, yeah, sure, search my phone records, meant they weren't going to? I know. He's going to be like, I have nothing to hide here. And they're like, you know what? You told us you have nothing to hide. We believe you. You keep those phone records to yourself. Like, that's not how this shit works. (laughs) No. Authorities then found that Lisa had multiple accidental deaths insurance policies that had been taken out just a few days before she died and lo and behold chad was the only beneficiary for all of these not the kids no not at all just the husband yep just chad also i mean i don't really know how life insurance policies work when you are like married and have children like if you i would assume you leave it to the children but i you know maybe it is kind of normal to leave it to the spouse because they're going to be able to take care of the children. I don't know. That just sounds suspect to me. I mean, their children are young. Yeah. You're not going to just leave money. I mean, maybe you would. Also, it depends on the life insurance policy. Some people's life insurance is like $10,000. So basically, it's burial costs. Oh, yeah. Because unfortunately, funerals are really expensive. Oh, my God. Just like toss me off a bridge. <laughs> no, but... um. <laughs> Police also discovered that the email address that was used to apply for these policies was created at the couple's home at a time of day when Lisa, who was a teacher, would have been at work. So they know she's not the one that applied for these policies because there was no way. Like, it's kind of creepy. Like, they can tell you where you created an email address and then looked at the clock. And they even confirmed this with her coworkers. And her coworkers are like, no, Lisa was here. She was not at home making an email address. Oh, yeah. I mean, they're like, nope, she was in the middle of an English lesson. But yeah, when you said that, like, they can tell where it was made and when and stuff. I was like, what the shit? But I mean, obviously, it, 
you can tell like the IP address and it's like, oh, that IP address, it's the home computer. Yeah. Boom. It it was made here. So finding this like first bit of evidence, they were able to get a search warrant and authorities confirmed that Chad did create the email account. At this point in time, Lisa's family is totally convinced that this was not suicide. This was not an accident. They're pretty sure Chad murdered Lisa. Uh, yeah, that's, that's kind of sounded like it's the obvious answer. DNA testing was done on Lisa's remains, and the results further made it look like Chad was the killer. Underneath Lisa's fingernails, there were traces of DNA that either belonged to Chad or their 11-year-old son, just because of, like, the familial DNA similarities. Or, like, I guess similarities, but also, like, matches. But when investigators confronted Chad, he said it was his child. He was like, that's not my DNA. It's the kid's. They show you a picture of it, and you're like, "Mm, doesn't look like anything belongs to me. Must have been him. She likes to scratch our children. Like, what? He's like, me with these scratch wounds? No. Never. I mean, he implicates his own child. 11-year-old son. Like, come on. And he's like, the 11-year-old must have snuck into our bedroom, gone into the ensuite bathroom, drowned his mother while I was sleeping. In October 2012, six months after Lisa's death, investigators called aquatic death expert Andrea Zafaris to help with the case. I didn't know that was a job. Well, think about it. Water deaths are not, like, drownings happen in the home, in pools, but also lakes, sea, like, there are a lot of ways to die in water. Aquatic death expert, like, that is a LinkedIn title. Like, damn. Maybe it's, like, hydroforensic pathologist or something. But, I don't know. (laughs) That, That would actually be a cool title, too. So Andrea reviewed the evidence, and she believed that Lisa's death was murder. She pointed to all of these injuries on Lisa's body that were evidence of foul play. And she theorized that Lisa was killed outside of the bath and then later placed in the water, which is when the killer could have set the scene to look like an accidental drowning. So one of the things that made it look like Lisa hadn't really been in the tub all that long. Her skin was not wrinkled, despite, you know, Chad's claim that she'd been in the tub for hours. No. Yeah, it's been like three hours. Yeah, but no, no pruny fingers. And that happens after like 20 minutes. So. I know. Another piece of evidence that I mentioned early on was that at the very beginning in the hospital, do you remember the nurse that said that the amount of water in Lisa's lungs was more than when you actually drowned? Yeah, that was one thing that actually confused me that I was going to bring up when you mentioned that she could have been killed outside the bath. Because if she went into the water and was already dead, wouldn't there not really be any water in her lungs? No, I'm pretty sure water could still go in. She was face down in the tub, and if her mouth's open, water's going to go in her body. Oh, but it's just going to flow in then. Yeah. Oh. Just thinking about if you're dead, like I know you're not pulling it in, but I, there's water obviously got into her lungs and she was dead before she got in the tub. The forensic pathologist who did the second autopsy also conducted some additional testing to determine that Lisa had absolutely no drugs in her system that would have incapacitated her enough 
that she would have accidentally drowned. So the pathologist ruled that the injuries to her body resembled those sustained by victims who had been who have been forcibly drowned. So there's some conflicting evidence here of like she was attacked outside the tub and maybe I go back on what I was just saying about all the water in the lungs cuz I mean I'm not a forensic pathologist. But you're not a water death expert. <laughs> so maybe there was a struggle to get her in the tub. Who who knows? What we do know is this was not an accident. Something totally went down. And so a year and a half after Lisa died, authorities were finally able to charge Chad with first-degree murder, and his trial began another six months later. One of the things that is difficult about cases like this is a lot of this evidence is purely circumstantial and it's because evidence is washed away and they've, they've built this scene of what happened based on the scratches, the emails, the life insurance policies, all of these things that have completely stacked up against Chad to where, yeah, dude looks really guilty. Yeah. During the proceedings, prosecutors brought in the actual bathtub that Lisa died in just to illustrate how gruesome her murder was. This very dramatic display, it totally worked. The jury took two hours to find Chad guilty. A judge sentenced him to 45 years in prison without the possibility of parole. Oh. So one of the things that comes out of this case is the fact that homicide by drowning is really, really difficult to prove, and it's hard to determine. And a lot of this is due to the high number of drownings that are happening. I think it's like 10 or so a day. So it's easy to see why drowning by accident is generally what the initial assumption is. I mean, yeah, because if you think about it, I mean, if she had taken some of her antidepressants or her medication before this and they'd been in her system, would that have been enough for them to stop the investigation? And then you think about, I mean... I drowning is not hard. I feel like it's I, know. I feel like swimming is not a natural thing. And panicking when surrounded by water is kind of the natural response that you know you learn to ignore when you learn how to swim and stuff. Right. But I mean it's not difficult to drown, I guess. Well, police investigators and divers are trying to change the way that drownings are handled because not all of them are accidental. Researchers have put together some different papers on how to determine if a case is in fact a homicide. So some of the things that are involved in this, you know, investigators are asked to secure a water crime scene in the same manner as they would if it were on land. This makes a big difference when you're thinking like a big body of water, like a lake or the ocean, and the way that they have to like drop buoys or evidence is found at the bottom. I mean, very intense. Yeah. So an area that's contained like the tub or the pool, it's obviously a lot more manageable. In Lisa Cutler's case, Chad removed her from the bathtub and the emergency techs took her immediately to St. Mary's Hospital where she was declared dead. So immediately, right off the bat, we have a disturbed crime scene. And I'm not saying that investigators and researchers are saying the body should have been left there because they were trying to resuscitate her. Like, what they did was correct. Mm -hmm. But the fact of the matter is, we now have a completely contaminated crime scene. Yeah. 
There is no definitive test to determine that a death was caused by drowning. So, like I said earlier, while medical examiners can find fluid in someone's lungs, the tests only show that the person was in the water. The cause of death could be completely unrelated. So, this does go back to what I was saying that, like, water can get into your lungs whether or not it was the reason you died or not. Yeah, and I guess, I mean, in my head, I think, like, maybe by forcefully breathing in water and struggling, there might be a way to see, like, popped alveoli and, like, trauma to the lungs and stuff, but maybe not, because it's water. Well, but no, and that's exactly right. When you're being... Sorry, this is graphic, but if you're being held underwater and you are like collapsing in the water because say you're having a heart attack, okay? Both of those, there would be some type of struggle. One, someone or something is holding you down. Two, there's a struggle because your body is actually struggling with itself. Exactly. So both of those situations, you're going to breathe in water. So the, me- the the point is the medical examiner can't say the drowning is what caused your death because in reality, maybe for this one person, it was the heart attack. They died because yeah. of the heart attack. And also one big point, it really is hard to kill an adult by drowning without leaving behind clues that show there was a struggle. So it's definitely up to investigators to find these clues. And it's not easy, again, with a lot of them being washed away. But homicide by drowning really hard to prove because of all of that yeah and that was the case of the murder of lisa cutler damn yeah this was one that thankfully chad was like an idiot and he was so obvious but maybe if what if it was someone who wasn't this obvious this could have easily just been passed on as an accident i know i'm like if if he had force fed her the pills that night and so they show up in her system or he had burned the life insurance paper that his calculation stuff i mean like yeah that oh you never i feel like when we talk about like murder and stuff it's kind of rare that we talk about drownings yeah it is because i can only think of this and then the um, the lady in the lake case that you did in Washington State, and when we did our frozen bodies. Yeah, but I don't know if she actually drowned or if she was just disposed of in the lake. I can't remember. I think she might have just been disposed of, actually. But I mean, like, still, okay. In in that same case, like, we don't really talk about drownings, but I mean, holding someone underwater is not a rare way to murder someone. Yeah. It's just a pretty rare way to get caught, I guess. I guess, unless that evidence happens to be discovered. But it, it, you know, it's all about the team that's there investigating and what what they're seeing. But these can slip through the cracks, which is scary. Yeah. So, Tyler, tell us about your case. Tell us about your, turns out, it was murder. So the case I'm doing today is the murder of Bonnie Craig. And the source I use, it's from an episode of Unsolved Mysteries that aired uh, September 4th of 2002. So Bonnie Craig, she was 18 years old. Oh, no. She was, yeah. 
She was a college freshman at the University of Alaska in Anchorage. And she was well-liked. She was very social. Yeah, I'm doing another Alaska, another Anchorage case. I know. I was about to say, you're just going through the Anchorage papers and doing their cases? I mean, I found this case from the research I did last episode. Oh, well, then yes, you literally are going through their newspaper and checking off their cases. But hey, Uh, I guess they have stories that we need to hear. They absolutely do. So she's this like very well-liked, very friendly college freshman. And before dawn, so in the early morning of September 28th, 1994, she leaves her home to go to school. And like her going to school commute, I guess, two days a week, she would walk 45 minutes in like the early morning dark to catch the bus. Oh my gosh, that is far. But again, Alaska's huge. It is far. I mean, a 45-minute walk is, but that's also like a two-mile walk. That's not that crazy to get to a bus stop if you don't have a car. It's not, I mean, people... but it's that's a lot of walking that you know she's doing like in, in the snow and everything. Although if you live in Alaska, you know how to handle the snow. You're not freaking out like we are here. We're like, go buy all the supplies. Get the wine. I know. I need to make a wine order before the snow hits. But yeah. <laughs> Legit same. I mean, that that's the thing is that she's not, like, it's not weird for her to make this walk or to do any of this. She's not concerned. And her first class, the reason she had to get up so early and, like, walk to the bus stop is her first class at 7 a.m. It's her English class. So when it's saying before dawn, I'm imagining she's probably getting out of the house, like, 5, 5.30 in the morning. I forget that we used to go to school and it started that early. I don't forget that we went to school. What I forget is the start time. Yeah, I mean, I remember the mistake I made my freshman year for being like, oh, I can have a 7 a.m. communications class, like my discussion class. I scraped by with a D in it. (laughs) And now I have a podcast. So, eh, who can communicate here? College. (laughs) You learned everything you needed to learn. You just got a D doing it. I mean, hey. Um, But yeah, Bonnie is, she is a very studious student. I mean, like, she's always at class early or on time. She's very focused on her studies. But that day, she never arrived at class. Later in the afternoon on that day, her body was found floating in the McHugh Creek. The medical examiner had determined that she drowned but she'd also suffered some pretty severe head injuries that look like they're probably the result of falling off a cliff into the creek. At first, the Alaska State Troopers, they thought that Bonnie must have died in a hiking accident. Hiking? That on her, well, like on her walk to the bus stop, she fell. But that doesn't really make any sense. No, it it doesn't. Walking to the bus and hiking... I mean, I'm not picturing these as the same thing. Like, her walk to the bus, I'm picturing it being on a road. Well, it may have been on a road next to the creek. In other cases, not in hers, though. So, Bonnie's mom, Karen, she was like, no, this was murder. Oh, she straight up just was like, no, she was murdered. Oh, yeah. When she viewed Bonnie's body, she noticed defensive wounds on Bonnie's hands. and. She also didn't understand why Bonnie would have been anywhere near that creek during 
like on her walk to school or during the school day or anything because the creek was 10 miles away from the bus stop. Oh my God. Yeah. And she had no way of getting there. I mean, she was walking to the bus stop. She would have had to walk another 10 miles to the creek. I'm so frustrated. I would totally be like her mom and like, uh, no, excuse me. This was obviously foul play. She was going to the bus stop, not hiking in the creek. This is frustrating because I feel like the investigators are like, oh, no, kids will be kids. She was hiking. Exactly. and But also, another thing, the stuff that Bonnie was taking to school that day, like her purse, her backpack, like all her stuff, they were not found with her body. Oh. Like they've been stolen? Yeah. So, according to Karen and her mom, the police weren't really sharing any information about her daughter's case with her. They were pretty much keeping it all to themselves. And so she did not really have any answers. But she did find an ally, and this was a reporter named Maria Downey. Maria was also trying to get information on the case because she was like, nah, this is a murder. This is not the accidental, the tragic accidental death of an 18-year-old girl. This is a crime. So... Karen, the mother of the victim, and Maria, a reporter on it, basically teamed up. Oh my gosh, yeah. It's very movie-esque. It really is. It re- There's, This should be a movie, maybe. I don't know. It, it should be. Maria and Karen, they're, they're basically here to uncover the truth. And one of the things that they were able to uncover that the police were hiding from them was the results of a sexual assault examination on Bonnie. The police were hiding this from her mother? Yeah. Wait, why? I have no idea. The police told Karen that Bonnie had not been raped, but about six months later, she learned that Bonnie had most likely been sexually assaulted because semen was found uh, in her during the examination. But police didn't rule out that this could have been a, like, consensual act, which I'm fairly sure you can usually tell the difference when you do a rape kit, if it was consensual or not. But, I mean, okay, them leaving the possibility, sure, but telling the mom, like, no, nothing happened. And then six months later, her finding out, oh, no, most likely she was sexually assaulted. Yeah. I I know it can be difficult because some people do have rough sex. Like, that is a thing. And it could look like it wasn't consensual when it was. But I just, what puzzles me so much about this is that even the possibility and the questioning, like, she had no idea. And I know mm-hmm. investigators don't release all of the information, but this just seems like something really big for them not even to tell her. Because... Wouldn't they want to ask the mom, like, hey, did she have a boyfriend? Did she have someone that she knew? Like, did she hang out with with anyone that she could be sexually active with? Well, and also, I'm just, I mean, her class was at 7 a.m. She clearly didn't even make it to the bus before something happened. So you're telling me she wakes up at 5 a.m. to walk for 45 minutes And then is in the mood to have sex at like 6 a.m. after a walk before class like that. That to me doesn't make sense. I mean, sure, maybe 
maybe, you know, some people are morning sex people after walks in the morning. But that just, none of this sounds likely. And to me, if you're having possible sexual assault, also she drowned, also she had head injuries if she fell off a cliff. Like, all of this is pretty obvious leading to murder, that she was killed. Yeah. And then if evidence comes out that, oh, no, it turns out she did just have sex that morning and decided to skip class and go for a hike and fell and drowned. Like, then that could be found out through the investigation, but this should be looked at first and foremost through the lens of a possible murder. I agree. So, Karen... Obviously, she is pissed with the police working on the case, so she starts her own investigation. She also knew that Bonnie had worked with the police department as, like, an undercover drug person. Oh, she was a drug informant. Yeah. Um, Which is another thing that I'm like, so you wouldn't you think it was murder? I know. All of this is stacking up to make it seem like, again, like, this has got to be an obvious murder. And maybe in both of our cases, it's because we're looking at the full story all at the same time. But as this started to build, I'm like, come on, someone better be getting suspicious on the police force and not just her mom. Uh, Exactly. And Karen thought that Bonnie's murder probably had something to do with her being a drug informant to her undercover work that she's doing with the police. Because an informant had told Bonnie that her family may be targeted by a drug lord after a sting that she was involved in resulted in several arrests in their drug organization. Oh, so she becomes the target. Yeah, so already, like, another informant is warning Bonnie, like, hey, this dude may be after you and your family. And then Bonnie winds up dead. And according to Karen, Bonnie was murdered the day after the people that she identified um, in this drug sting were released from jail. So literally, they got out, and the next day, Bonnie's dead. Seems super suspicious to me. Yep. And while, like, technically Bonnie's identity was, like, never known to them, like, there were steps taken to, like, protect her identity, it probably wouldn't be that difficult to find out who she is. So Karen, again, she's frustrated with the lack of movement the police are making. Right. And so she meets with one of the lead investigators. And when she tells him about this information she received about this informant, as the informant told um, both Karen and Bonnie, but the investigator is like, well, what's your source? Who's your source? And I was like repeatedly asking her. And Karen promised the informant she is not going to reveal his identity. Yeah. So she was like, I can't tell you my source, but this is what I was told. But because she didn't identify her source, the investigators really didn't follow up on her lead. Or at least she doesn't believe they did because there wasn't any movement. The investigators did release a statement that they looked into all the leads that she gave them. And that, you know, the only reason for this lack of clarity and communication is that they're not releasing all the information about the case. Which makes sense. That's not new news. Investigators don't always release all the information, especially if it is an active investigation. Yeah, and that makes sense because, I mean, if if they're following up on, like, a possible 
mystery person, maybe they could have made the assumption it may have been an informant since Bonnie was an informant right. and like not released that info. So I do get that. But nothing really moved on the case. A year after Bonnie's death, one of her professors contacted Karen. And the professor had become suspicious of one of her students. She suspected that this student may have been involved in Bonnie's murder. Oh my god. Because teachers hear things, yo. Teachers hear things and teachers see things. Because I guess in this class, one of the things they did was keep a journal. And according to the professor, he the student made several references to the day of the murder in his journal. He claimed that it would be a very tough day and he would be put to a test. And also some of his writings were very violent. According to the professor, on the day Bonnie was murdered, that student was late for school. And when he came into her class, she noticed that he was wet like he'd just gotten out of the shower. And he smelled like he'd poured a whole bottle of cologne on him. Oh my god. And then after Bonnie's murder, suddenly his writings became a lot more peaceful. Okay, that's creepy. But DNA evidence and this student's alibi ruled him out as a suspect in the case see but this is just the perfect example of like holy shit this sounds like an exact person like this is who did it no he didn't have anything to do with it he just had his own something he was working through i guess yeah but karen believed that there was too much connecting this kid because even though the dna didn't belong to him he could have still been involved. She said that she found out that this student had an assault charge against him and had been bailed out by a friend who was involved in another murder. So there's... Oh my god. Yes, yeah, so this student, I mean, has an assault charge, is connected to someone who is connected to a murder, but at the end of the day, I, it doesn't sound like the student had anything to do with Bonnie's murder. That is a great example of circumstantial evidence like just because this kid looks like he's totally involved and that there's some type of guilt going on here not really Mm -hmm. so alaska state troopers they were trying to find witnesses who may have seen something that morning when you know the last morning bonnie was alive a neighbor reported seeing her at about 5 20 in the morning walking down their street on her way to the bus stop And another did see her at the bus stop about 6.20 in the morning. So through eyewitness reports, she made it to the bus stop. But we don't know if she got on the bus, which I guess she obviously didn't get on the bus. An anonymous caller did call the police the, like, Crime Stoppers line and said that they did see her at the bus stop. And she was talking to two men that were, like, in a car at the bus stop. Oh. But despite that... Police didn't have any evidence to arrest anyone that was, like, in connection with the case, and it looked like it was going to remain unsolved. So we flash forward to 2006, 12 years after Bonnie's murder, and four years after her case was featured on Unsolved Mysteries. DNA from the semen that was found in Bonnie's body was matched. It matched a man named Kenneth Dion through the CODIS DNA database. 
He was currently in prison in New Hampshire for armed robberies. And at the time of her murder, he lived in the area and he was on probation for robbery and had just been released from a prison in Alaska a few months earlier. Okay. Wow. He is very far from that area at the point when he's in prison. <laughs> yeah. New Hampshire to Alaska. That's about as far as you can get. Well, and also it it seems like, and I'm glad they didn't like give up on her case and they would still periodically run the DNA. Mm-hmm. Because clearly he wasn't in the system or the system wasn't developed or as like as all-encompassing as it is now when this happened absolutely so in 2007 dion was charged with raping and murdering bonnie and it's believed that this was just a random act of violence at his trial he claimed that he had consensual sex with her and then she accidentally fell to her death when like they were alone at the creek But when he was first questioned about this, he claimed that he didn't know her, and her family and friends also didn't know him. And Bonnie is, Bonnie did not seem like the type of person who would have, like, you know, that kind of relationship with someone and not tell her friends or anyone. Dion also didn't have an alibi, and he couldn't account for his whereabouts on the day Bonnie disappeared and was murdered. And his wife even said that he was not at home that entire week. Wait, the whole week he wasn't at home? So, like, he has no alibi for a really big span of time. Yeah. Also, the medical examiner re-looked at her injuries and determined they were not caused by a fall, but they were caused by a blunt object or a weapon. You would think... I mean, okay, to be fair, again, I'm not a pathologist. I don't know the difference in these, but I would hope that a pathologist can tell the difference of I fell and hit my head on a rock and someone swung a hammer at my head. Exactly. Well, and Dion carried martial arts weapons in his car that could, like, he was known to do that. And those very much could have been the weapon. And I'm like, Okay, so a pair of, like, nunchucks or something is what I'm imagining martial arts weapons that cause blunt trauma to be. Um, That's going to look different from, like, a rock or something. Investigators also found a leaf that had her blood on it that was found above the cliff area. Oh, and it wouldn't be there unless something happened before she got to the bottom of the cliff. Yeah, and the thing is, like, she was pushed or thrown from the cliff so maybe initially her injuries you know there were fall injuries so maybe initially some of those covered up the blunt force trauma and if they were already looking at it with the mindset of oh she fell and drowned yep those are fall injuries they're not going to look any further until they do and that is an example of tunnel visioning tunnel visioning on the cause yeah and lastly Her family and her friends noted she was in a very committed relationship with her boyfriend at the time, and she was not someone who was going to go have random sex with someone else, especially someone who's like a complete stranger. Yep. Dion was found guilty of Bonnie's murder on June 15th of 2011, and on October 31st of 2011, Dion was sentenced to 124 years in prison. That's a long time. Yep. 
And that is the case of the murder of Bonnie Craig. This was such an interesting topic to do. Yeah. Cases that were not initially looked at as murder that turned out to be murder. Yeah. I mean, it's also, it's interesting to look at the different perspectives because in mine, Karen, Bonnie's mom, was really the, it sounds like the main driving force in pushing for this to be investigated as murder. And in yours, it was just kind of more of a slow burn for the police to be like, we're suspicious. Things seem weird. Okay, well, now it's a little more suspicious. Okay, well, now we should actually start looking at it as murder. Yeah, things just like kept happening that they were like, okay, this is weird. And yours, the police were like, no, Karen, it was an accident, hiking accident, closed case. Yeah. Well, I love that Karen and Maria were like, no, this is injustice and we're going to seek the truth. We're going to seek the truth for Bonnie. Oh, absolutely. Because I am confident that Bonnie's death would have just gone down as a hiking accident if they had not pushed for this. Yeah, if they had not been as adamant as they were, there there would not be any further investigation. There'd be nothing. Wow. Well, hope you guys enjoyed this episode. This was definitely a very different type of topic, and we really enjoyed this. If you like different topics like this, if you enjoy our podcast, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Leave us those five stars. Let us know what you're thinking. And I I do just want to say a huge thank you to you guys for listening. We love bringing you this content, and we're so excited that we were able to figure out a way to keep bringing it to you. Oh, absolutely. Also, make sure to like and follow us on social media. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And with that, this is Blood and Wine signing off. XOXO. Bye, you guys. Bye.